2: Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. A little bit of history right now here in the state of Utah. For the first time, there will be partisan elections for state school board membership. When you cast your primary ballot uh, before June 30th, I'll tell you what, let me remind you, you've probably heard, uh, we're all mail in ballot this year, okay? You've got until the 30th, no reason to delay though. Right now, why don't you sit down at your kitchen table or at your desk or wherever it is, fill out that ballot, drop it in the mail, send it off. Rock the vote from home with everyone here at KSL News Radio. As you fill that out this year for the first time, Uh, there will be uh, partisan elections for the state school board. This comes after a piece of legislation uh, which was challenged in court. Uh, The legislation came in 2016. There have been some challenges to it since, uh, but uh, the Supreme Court ruled just last year that this newly uh, instituted statute here in the state was, in fact, constitutional. And for that reason, you will see eight Republican candidates for the Utah State School Board of Education squaring off in the primary election coming up. On the thirtieth, joining me right now to help understand exactly uh, why why it has become law, uh, what it means, what the difference between uh, say a partisan and a nonpartisan school board election is is the House sponsor from twenty sixteen, Representative Bradley Last. joining me on the line now uh, to talk uh, about this legislation he sponsored. Representative, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Lee? I'm doing well. I'm going to admit to you, I have not put a lot of thought into a partisan versus a nonpartisan uh, state school board race. Uh, in preparation for today's show and just general curiosity, I have clicked and clacked around, and I've read a few studies. And uh, at least in terms of the smart folks who try to quantify everything, they can't find a, a real uh, benefit or lack thereof um, to 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 a partisan race. Let me ask you, why, why affix your name to this effort in 2016? And what does it mean to Utah today?
1: <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting question about why my name got affixed to that. Uh, there's probably more of a story there than we have time to talk about. But okay. uh, you talked about the lawsuit after the after the bill was passed, and quite honestly, that's not the first lawsuit we've had about school board elections, and you probably know that. So mm. the method that we had before was a little complex, and you know it involved. Uh, a pretty strange method of of allowing people to put their name in uh, to a a pool, basically. And then uh, the governor had had a role in selecting people as well. And it was was just uh, pretty complex, and a number of people felt like they were being excluded from the process. So there was a lawsuit before, and really the reason that this uh, partisan school board election came about was we had to do something because of the previous lawsuit, And this is this is where we landed. This is what we could come up with. This is what we could get the House and the Senate to agree upon. So um, that's the reason. But generally speaking, you know, school board elections, certainly local school board elections are nonpartisan. Anybody who wants to put their name into the hat can can do so. And they don't have to go through the party convention process or whatever the party process is. Uh, They can just uh, put their name out there, file to run and, and they can run. Uh, The partisan election, of course, is a a different process. They follow the same process that everybody else does, including members of the legislature like me. Uh, And the the main reason that that we wanted to try the partisan elections is because we felt that it gave an opportunity for these school board members to represent almost twice as many citizens as a state senator – But we felt that it gave them an opportunity to get their names and faces out there through the convention process and through the party process uh, and that it would be a much more public race than it has been in the past.
2: And there are certain ideologies uh, and general attitudes associated with Party affiliation. Is there value in essentially telegraphing some of your more general positions uh, without having to, uh, you know, item by item go go through and disclose and share them, uh, taking up time, which might otherwise be spent talking about maybe some of the specifics of classroom operation and uh, some of the uh, some of the. Uh, requirements that do come from the school board understand that is there value in knowing ahead of time that okay that candidate is a republican and republicans believe this that candidate is a democrat democrats believe that is that our is that good yeah
1: i i think it is and you know certain areas of the state uh in my area for example heavily republican area utah county same thing Mm -hmm. i think people that are voting for a school board member would like to know that they share the same party and that, generally speaking, they're going to share the, share the same uh, political philosophy. I think there is value to that.
2: And, and I'd go as far as to say that, that that could be the case for any party, regardless of whether or not you're in one of these heavily Republican areas, or maybe you find yourself in a portion of Summit County or Salt Lake County where uh, the attitude has shifted to the other side of the spectrum. Uh, have you, are, are there opportunities to challenge this? Are you still in a position where you need to defend this in the future?
1: Uh, well, not for the time being. I don't think so. I mean, this is the first time that we've tried it. Uh, when we get through and we're looking at this from the other side, there may be some, there may be some, uh, things that we need to adjust a little bit, but, but just understand, Lee that over the last many years, we have revised and revised and revised this method of choosing, uh, mm-hmm. state school board members. And even before this, Even before this election took place, there were members of the House of Representatives who wanted to change it before we were even able to try it. So it's a at least in terms of the the politics in the legislature, it's a pretty high-profile thing, and uh, I'm guessing that just like tax policy, we'll be talking about this for a long time to come.
2: Very good. Representative Last, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your work on Utah's Capitol Hill. Look forward to speaking to you again sometime.
1: All right. Thank you
2: all righty let me say one last thing on this issue the for, for some reason partisanship <clears throat> has developed a negative connotation somehow the phrase political party has developed some sort of negative connotation at least that's uh, what is spouted off by many folks who oppose the insertion of politics or the injection of politics into uh, races like this, but it doesn't have to be. You know, if if you and I, if you're listening there, Representative Last said that there are opportunities for candidates to approach this position, potential uh, board members, in any which way they'd like. They don't. You don't need to declare yourself a, a member of a certain party. the the way it's set up now, you you have the ability to do so. And in my humble opinion, though it's not that humble, (laughs) in my opinion... Whatever information that you can communicate to the electorate is good. And any effort any effort to suppress or withhold from the voting public information about a candidate, be it state senator, be it dog catcher in this case, be it member of the state school board, any effort to withhold information, specifically party affiliation, is a demonstration of arrogance. Arrogance for you, that you think that you are so much smarter than the the rest of us, us voters, that you, up either in the legislature or in the courtroom or uh, wherever you find yourself spouting off and exercising your influence and authority, if you look, if your objective is to keep information from the voter, you are in the wrong, you are condescending, you are arrogant, you think you are smarter, when I can assure you, as a voter myself, you are not. We're adults here. (laughs) You know, you you and I can sort out the good guys from the bad guys. And needing to sort that out is one of the responsibilities that comes with our right to vote. You got that? Yeah. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, I do want to share some of the arguments against this, which were presented in 2016 by members of the Utah State Legislature at the time. Also, I want to get back and share with you some of those Bolton comments. There's some, there's some interesting stuff Bolton had to say. That's John Bolton, author of this new book, The Room Where It Happened. Due out tomorrow. We'll share those details with you next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL
0: Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. We have so much ground to cover. We have 10 minutes to do so. We're going to start right now rapid fire. First off, I want to share with you something uh, that I just received. Via email, it is a memo drafted by state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn. And it was delivered to uh, leadership in the state. Uh, it's a long document. Uh, we will surely cover it in greater length here on KSL News Radio throughout the day. But I want to share with you two main points. First off, this comes from the overview section. It reads, "Quote: We are in the acceleration phase of the COVID-19 outbreak in Utah. We went to yellow on May 15th." Our surge in cases started on May 27th, 12 days after going yellow. Utahns care about these colors. They change their actions based on them. They are the key messaging tool to the public. So that, again, is coming from this document, this memo, which was delivered to state leadership from state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn with the Utah Department of Health. Now, I mentioned we're going to cover this in greater detail, I am sure, on KSL News Radio as the day carries on, but I want to share with you this. This point, before I move on, under the category of things we can do now to start to decrease cases and keep the economy open. Point number one, if we do not reach a rolling seven-day average of 200 cases per day by July 1st, we need to move the entire state to orange. This will send the message to Utahns that this outbreak continues to be a serious problem. The state leadership is committed to saving lives and preventing a complete economic shutdown. Subpoint she makes in this memo 200 cases a day can likely be managed by aggressive contact tracing, focused outbreak investigation and testing, and pointed public messaging. Let me start that public messaging effort. We can do this. We can we can get that seven day average back to under 200 cases a day. We do it by continuing to exercise the good guidance that we had been exercising earlier, which got us mostly around the state into the yellow category. The masks are uncomfortable. I know I know they are. As I spent my weekend out and about, the few instances where I wasn't able to exercise or maintain good social distancing at the store or here and there, I had the mask on. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, but it might just save the day. Not just the lives of those fellow Utahns with whom we come in contact, but also the economy of this great state. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. It's just it's a stark warning uh, of things maybe to come uh, that this coronavirus is no joke. It's rearing its head right now. We are in the midst of another intense battle. But as we have demonstrated in the past, we can engage this one and we can win this one. All right, I'm going to calm down, uh, wear a mask, wash your hands, be smart. Moving on to a few items of cleanup here before we wrap up today's program. In, in the last segment, we talked about this idea of partisan state school board elections. It, there's a science to all this stuff, or at least, uh, you know, the smart consultant types would like you to think that there's a science to it. And there are a number of those types who have attempted to quantify uh, the 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 way that the job is approached by school board members who make it to that position, to the board, find their seat on the board via uh, campaigning under a political banner or not. And interestingly, the study that I have been uh, paying most attention to uh, indicates that the the greatest amount of differences comes from th- those legisl- or those uh, potential board members who don't reveal their party affiliations and that there is somehow in political affiliation, partisan affiliation, in some places, a higher tendency at compromise and conciliatory behavior and working together to find some sort of middle ground. Anyway, I'm not going to wade too deep into that. What I do want to do here for a moment is turn back the hands of time to 2016. You remember Jim DeBacchus? Yeah, uh, a state senator back in 2016. He, uh, not a big fan of this which has now become law. So let me remind you, when you hear these words from Jim DeBacchus, know that uh, his position was defeated, that today we do, have, uh, we do have school board elections, which reveal the party uh, of the candidates. So here during the 2016 Senate debate over the bill, Senator DeBacchus argued that this move could turn the school board into a political hotbed. We're going to turn this state school board, which
1: frankly doesn't have much of a stellar record now, into a partisan hotbed of politics instead of doing what constitutionally it's required to do, which is to run this huge multi-billion dollar corporation that we have.
2: Well, turns out political scientists and experience disagree with that. And here in the state of Utah, following this first partisan election, once we have the benefit of hindsight, I predict we'll be able to look back and observe for ourselves that the arguments posed here by Senator Backus way back in 2016 end up being off the mark. All right. Now, we have a few minutes left. I earlier talked to you about John Bolton. I'm sorry for bouncing around from topic to topic here, but it's, it's it's important, fascinating stuff, and I want you to get it all before I say goodbye for the day. John Bolton tomorrow will be releasing, you know, unless something happens between now and then, and in the Trump era, uh, things can happen pretty quickly. Tomorrow, it is scheduled that former National Security Advisor John Bolton will release his book titled The Room Where It Happened. The Room Where It Happened. Available wherever books are sold. And he... In promotion of this book, yesterday appeared on ABC with Martha Raditz. For an hour, Martha and John there sat together going back and forth talking about the contents of this book. One little exercise I did earlier was I took the, the transcript of that interview and I did the, the word search, you know, c- control F. And I typed in the simple phrase in my book or in the book. You know how many times that phrase popped up? 34 times. 34 times in the span of an hour, John Bolton made reference to something he said in the book. What does that communicate to me? It communicates that Mr. Bolton here, who, if I'm honest, until this move here, I had in a few earlier moves in, in some of these recent months. Uh, but up until you know his time after leaving the, the, the White House as National Security Advisor, I was a, I was a Bolton fan. Yeah. Anyway, he, uh, he's selling a book now. Uh, he, he's on the tour. He yesterday granted an interview. I want to share with you, before I say goodbye, a few of the comments made by Bolton. Here he says Trump is singularly focused on his reelection.
0: Are you saying that all decisions the pre- president made
1: were driven by reelection? I
2: didn't see anything where that wasn't the major factor. He goes on in this interview, and I'll tell you, just ad nauseum about how every single thing that Trump did was in an effort to get himself reelected. Now, that may or may not be true, uh, but I just feel it's in just disgusting poor taste to uh, to make money off that in the way that Mr. Bolton is here. As this day has gone on, I've gotten more and more worked up about uh, John Bolton and his behavior here with this book. He went on during this ABC News interview with Martha Raddus after was asked how he believed how John Bolton believes history will remember Donald Trump.
1: I hope uh, it will remember him as a one-term president who didn't plunge the country irretrievably into a downward spiral we can't recall from. We can get over one term. Two terms I'm more troubled about.
2: He spoke in very superficial terms, if I'm honest, throughout the course of this interview. In this business, in the talk radio business, in the news radio business, and news in general, we are always starving for objective, verifiable information. Something that someone claims or does or says or whatever that, that I can then go back, and with Producer Amy's help and Reporter's help, I can go back and verify it. I can ask someone who was there. I can refer to some record of the event, uh, and well... Every claim that was made by John Bolton during this one hour long interview uh, was pretty much void of that ability. He couldn't really verify much, and so it is with superficial accusations. So it is with superficial accusations. I am going to uh, step aside. I have rambled on long enough for one day. Next up here on KSL News Radio, it's Jeff Kaplan as he takes to the mic and delivers Jeff Kaplan's afternoon news here on KSL News Radio.